Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. And he takes it from the 10 to the 5 and on the numbers at Herbert takes it in for the touchdown. The running back who got a quick pass on a sideline delivery, a 25-yard touchdown catch and run. Well, no revenge for the Patriots from Super Bowl 20, although I'm sure the Patriots have beaten the Bears at some point. Soundly, I think more than once in yes. the past 37 years. Not last night, 33-14 to 14 ass-kicking by the Chicago Bears over the New England Patriots, proving yet again that just as we start to think we're figuring things out, we are reminded in a very sudden and conclusive way that we don't know Jack Diddley squat. The show is PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel. Learn more at googlestore.com. Hello to our Peacock audience, Sirius XM 85, Sky Sports NFL, and our podcast family. And hello to you. Welcome back, Chris, after five days. Thanks, Slugger. A rough night for both of us because we both thought the Patriots would win. We both thought the Patriots would cover. Uh, yeah, we did. We definitely did. Uh, but I mean, you know, you said it. I mean, first off, it, it's a crazy league. It's a matchup league. It's you know, a, a team that um, maybe the mojo was affected by the quarterback situation. I think you could d- dive into that. You know, but the, the Patriots the last few weeks, I think we all thought, wow, it's really heading in the right direction. And you, you could said it, man. I mean, it was, it was a master class ass whooping. It really was. You take away six plays of the football game and you go, the Bears kind of dominated in every phase and every category and every moment where there was, oh, wait, here's a stalemate of a play. The Bears came out on top with, you know, some miraculous, you know, individual feat or whatever else. So uh, you, you don't see the Patriots get physically whooped. And then really 
I mean, out coached to a degree too. Just out schemed a little bit on you know on a home game in the night where he could break George Hallis's record against the Chicago Bears. Yeah, I think it was all kind of shocking to me as I was sitting there watching that for sure. Well, you know, as the saying goes, when you have two quarterbacks, you have none. When you have two quarterbacks and a crappy defense, it doesn't matter. Last <laughs> yeah, that's night, right. the defense was not good. There's a lot. There's a lot to unpack to, here. Yeah. Right. And, I mean, we managed to talk 40 minutes about the Cardinals Saints before they played on Thursday. Somehow we could talk for two hours just about this game and all of the angles. Yeah. Let, let me throw one at you that I yeah, just thought of. I mentioned this yesterday to Miles Simmons. Well, you mentioned the scheming that the Bears did. And they did, I think, a decent amount of self-scouting of themselves I, they, before this game. Agreed. Right? Agreed. Yeah. Let, let me let me throw something at you. We spend so yeah. much time trying to brainstorm ways to make it easier for teams who play on Sunday to turn around and play on Thursday. I've noticed a trend here, and I'm going to chart it after the show. There have been multiple teams that have played Thursday and haven't played again until the following Monday. And, man, that 11-day buy and a half or almost – full buy it's not mini buy it's not full buy I don't know what I want to call it three quarters of a buy yeah but that 11 days maybe that makes a difference right and we saw it with the Bears we saw it before that with the Broncos didn't make not a whole lot of self-scouting going on when the Broncos had 11 days so that that doesn't prove the trend the Ravens have it coming up from Thursday to the following Monday right I just I wonder whether that extra twenty four hours really just makes a difference. It lets you do more of a reset, like you would do during a full blown buy. Well, there, there's more of a, a time to you know finagle, self scout thyself. Oh, we got an extra day of hey, you know let's find some let's find some extra creative plays here on this extra day to come up with you know a blitz plan. Let's let's look around the league and like how do how are teams stopping the all out blitz right now? Let's steal a few plays from that and infuse it in there. And I think that's where you get a few you have an extra day to go, well what do we need to do to get better? We can have more of an in depth meeting where you're not worried about, hey, it's it's the grind of the normal week and we gotta keep up. So you have a meeting on the Sunday you know, eight days before the Monday game where you talk about what, what we got to, there's got to be some philosophical changes. I think that's the advantage of that right there to where, yeah, you can look at yourself and go, wait, we have tendencies. Let's break that. Wait. Okay. Let's look at ourselves. What can we add into the offense that gives us a little creative element that the team that we play next won't be, won't be ready for. Uh, I, I think that's where it really comes in in handy, Mike, is that aspect. And then, you know, it all, hey, we got a little extra walkthrough time. We got a little extra meeting time because of that. Team's a little bit more rested. So I think it's a, val it's a, it's a valid point. There's no question about that. And we saw one team that was clearly ready to go. Had to answer for everything really throughout the night, let alone just physically winning the battle like individually man versus man too. And to their credit, the Bears didn't fold the tents after that loss Thursday night, week six, yeah. to the Commanders. Right. They easily could have. They easily could have said, oh, woe is us. They fought, and they scratched, and they clawed, and they still couldn't pull it off. Very easy to just throw in the towel. But, hey, we said it on 
Thursday when the two and four Saints were getting ready to face the two and four Cardinals. Huge yeah. difference between three and four and two and five. And the Bears saw that moment and they thrust themselves right back into it. They're tied with the Packers now at three and four. Wild card berths will be available. There's at least going to be one up for grabs for a team that's at or around 500. Now, you need the Giants or the Cowboys to cool off a little bit to have two yeah. wild card berths in play in the NFC. But the Bears right in the thick of things. And this is a building block game. This is the perfect time to have a game like this. You no come doubt. out of this feeling pretty good about yourself. Yeah. Now, now you got a short week. You got five days until Sunday. But you, you have to feel like this is a positive. Oh, and they get a chance to knock down the Cowboys a little bit because they go to Dallas. But, hey, we just won in Foxborough. If we won in Foxborough, we can give the Cowboys a run for the money. That's the mindset they have to take in there. Well, yeah, yeah, agreed. And, and, and again, I, I think, you know, to, to what you said about the extra time, the self-scouting, the coaching itself, what this win does for itself – you know, the Bears are another one of those teams that, you know, again, maybe are exceeding expectations where we look at them and go, whoa, they're three and four. We didn't really think this. But I would also put them in that handful of teams, the Giants, the Cowboys, um, the Falcons. Who else? I'm missing somebody else that I wanted to throw into that mix there. But are managing the game the right way too, Mike? That's the thing. That, you know, this is not, these aren't the aggressive teams. They're not, oh, it's just four down and we're aggressive. It's, oh, let's punt the ball. Let's play defense. You know, we'll come back and give another crack at it the next time. That was another thing, Mike, I, I, that jumped out to me about the game last night. First off, I, Matt Eberflus is doing an incredible job. We know the Bears are not the most talented team, but they are building something there. And every week it's physical, tough, you know, in the football game. No matter who they play, they outplayed Washington, you know, hung in there with the Giants at 6-1 and one, and it came down to the very end. You know, we, we know they beat the 49ers. Hung in there with the Green Bay Packers. But I don't know if you noticed this last night, Mike. Ibraflus is really managing the game. Ibraflus, in my opinion, looked like he was also involved in the play calling a little bit. I, did you see how many times he was standing next to, you know, uh, 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 get, Luke, Luke Getze? Getze. Exactly. Thank you for saving me there. Where, you know, he had his hand like, and he's telling him, he's putting his sheet over, hey, yeah, run the ball here. Or, yeah, I, I like that quarterback run here. And all of that, that, that to me, I saw that, and I, I'm going to go back and watch again when the show's over because ESPN showed a number of clips where I felt like those type of conversations were going on. Like, you know, he wasn't going to let, like, oh, hey, it's, it's third and 15, drop back and just let him try to make magic. It was like, no, let's just throw the screen and, you know, get in field goal position or throw the screen and we'll punt it out, whatever. Uh, and I, I found that to be impressive and interesting, too, as I was watching the game live there last night. Well, you know, here's the reality. you got to take ownership of the team. It's That's your right. Team, no matter how you got that job. No doubt. Defensive or offensive coordinator, the Bill Belichick transition. We don't think of Bill Belichick. Now, he's been a head coach for so long, you don't think of him as a coordinator one way or the other. But we think of Andy Reid as an offensive genius. We yeah. just think of Bill Belichick as a football genius on both sides. Right, right. for last night. And I think Matt Eberflus <laughs> realizes if this is going to work. And look around the league. We're going to talk about the Broncos later and the struggles of Nathaniel Hackett. But in that first year as a head coach, you prove to yourself and everyone else whether you are suited for the job. And Eberflus had that 11 days to take a step back and really decide, am I going all in here? Am I going to do what I need to do to be as good at this job as I can be? And when you consider the 
personnel decision they made in the offseason. They had some cap issues, so they couldn't really do the kind of tear down and build up that other teams are doing around young quarterbacks. And I was on the score in Chicago yesterday, and they asked me, did we pick the wrong year to try to do this partial tear down because the Packers aren't good and who knows about the Vikings? Like, yeah, but look at next year. I mean, the path is open for somebody else to rise up and take over that division, and why not the Bears? And if they keep playing like they did last night, they will be the new kings of the Uh NFC North Uh sooner rather than later. So there's a lot to feel good about. And it's just one game, and it can all go to hell on Sunday in Dallas. It could. We don't know. That's the thing. We don't know. I tweeted this last night as a fan. I love it when stuff like this happens, and we're reminded that we don't know anything. As somebody who's supposed to have a rough idea of what the hell is going to happen, I hate it. I yeah. hate it. Uh, I, I've, I, I've never been worse times picking this games. Weekend. So, yeah, I've Patriots, never been worse. Packers, Buccaneers. What the hell? We're going to talk about both of those two teams coming up. For now, though, let's hear from Justin Fields, yeah. the second-year quarterback, who they finally are using as a runner, not just when the pass play breaks Not down. just a scrambler. Real design runs. Exactly, Mike. I think we've got to hit that. Runs. Right. Here he is right. talking about it, and we'll, we'll talk more about the details on the other side. I thought they were good. I thought it, you know, brought a whole different element to our offense. So, um, you know, I think we executed that well. And uh, there were definitely some explosives in, in that uh, design runs, for sure. Kind of my mindset going in, I wasn't trying to take, you know, many big hits. So um, I knew I had, you know, more design runs this game. So I knew I was going to have to run the ball a little bit more. So, you know, just being able to last, you know, the entire game was, was, was big, for sure. Uh, it wasn't like Thursday night, but he still took some big hits. Well, there you go, Mike. I'll show you one of them at some point, but there it is. Yeah. That's what Justin Fields can do. So do it. Figure That's coaching. Figure out what your players do well and do it. Uh, it sounds hundred. Yeah. difficult. Or it sounds easy. Let me try that again. It's difficult to make the statement come out right. It sounds easy, but for some coaches, it's so difficult because it means they have to set aside their system, their plan, their ego. Screw that. I got, a, I got a player who can run the ball effectively from the quarterback position. I'm going to embrace it, not shy away from it. Exactly right. And in a team that, again, right now is built around the run game. I mean, you could say what you want, and you you know, you know, talked about it. The future can be bright there because they got some basics of, of we know, uh, the football bylaws to go, there's some things here to build around. The offensive line, I mean, again, they run the ball just about on anybody. They maul everybody. I did not think they would maul the New England the New England Patriots the way they did last night. But it's a big, overpowering group. And then, they, you, Mike, you, you're right. And then you add the two-headed monster running back. Montgomery and Herbert are really good. And then you add in now the Justin Fields design quarterback runs. Yeah, it gives them something to build off. It makes, Mike, what we always talk about. It makes the defense go, wait, they do something elite. And even though now I want to play this defense, I have to bend what I want to do because they pose some problems with the run game and hit the quarterback run design. And now it starts to open up everything else. Then it opens up the normal run game because now there's an extra guy we're waiting for, Justin Fields. And then the play-action pass. And then, you know, just the regular rollouts. And everything starts to flow together. That, to me, was the thing that jumped out. And I think we're both talking about here where there was a flow to the offense for the first time. You know, we saw little, like, little, little, you know, parts of it in the Washington game on Thursday night where there was, we had some moments where hey, Justin Fields looks pretty good here. And those were, that was a good drive and some nice plays. There was a smattering of it. Last night, we saw real consistency. And then, hey, moving the ball, getting some mojo going, hey, you got me some easy completions. Then he starts throwing, you know, 
more high level in the pocket passes because now he's feeling good. And now it's, hey, everything's feeling good. And, hey, it's an all-out blitz, and here's a screen to the running back, and he runs for a touchdown. They just they had answers for everything last night, and I think it was because they they were the aggressor of the week off, the 11 days like you talked about, of self-scouting thyself, and they made the Patriots kind of bend to how they were playing in the game and made them adjust. And uh, that's where I can't give them enough credit on both sides of the ball. Not only was Justin Fields phenomenal and really played one of the best games I've seen him play, but also the defense and Eberflus and what they did to the Patriots on that side of the ball. It was all very impressive. Special teams was good. So it was a big-time win for the Bears last night. And here's where, in hindsight, we both should have, I think, realized there was a possibility this was going to happen. We didn't give the Bears enough credit to spot it and do it and embrace the running ability of Justin Fields, not as a scrambler, but as a guy who could take the ball in a designed capacity. The Patriots kind of struggle against They struggle against that. Yeah, I know. Going all the way back to 2012, the Colin Kaepernick night, you were there, I assume. That was your window, right? I when was there. Was Sunday yep. night exactly. when the 49ers came to town and Kaepernick jumped out on them. Right. The, the, and then the Patriots came back, and then the 49ers held it together and still got the win. Right. Think back to week three when Mac Jones suffered the ankle injury. We'll talk all about the quarterback situation in New England coming up, but Lamar Jackson that day had 100-plus rushing yeah, yards right. against the New England Patriots. So I guess it didn't flicker on my radar screen because the last time we saw the Bears, they weren't using They don't Justin do this. Fields. That's exactly. This way. Right. So credit to them. They right. realized, hey, we're playing a team that struggles against mobile quarterbacks. Let's do what it's going to take to win this game. And, and that's what the difference can be when you – treat a regular season game like a postseason game and you forget about whatever comes after it and that may be the payback here Chris they may go into Dallas and they may not be ready and it may not matter against Michael Parsons and company and they got less time to get ready for that one because they haven't been thinking about it the Cowboys were able to spend Monday thinking about the Bears but we got to get this win we're in prime time again we we fought and we couldn't get it against the commanders and we're going to do everything we can. We're treating this like a playoff game and we're going to go all in to beat the Patriots. And, and it worked. Now the challenge is bringing that same mindset on a regular basis. It's like the kid that works really hard and studies and getting a on a test. And your parents expect you to bring more A's home. We're going to expect the bears to bring more wins home after what they did last night. And if they don't, what they did last night is going to be forgotten pretty quick. It, it, I mean, I'd be shocked if they don't continue it. it it's again, it's we we have this conversation all the time. What's the point of drafting some of these running quarterbacks if they if you don't use them and run them? I don't understand that either. And for a guy like Justin Fields, where hey, the drop back pass game and all that's kind of a little all over the place all year long, right? This to me not only is the best thing for your football team, gives you some creativity, it fits within the mold of how you want to play anyways, run the ball, control the clock. Matt Eberflus calls all these cool zone coverages and defense and has people all in the right spots. But also, it buys time and gives people hope in the Justin Fields you know, conversation or the people that, you know, again, are, are trying to move him along. Early in the year when they were kind of trying to play a basic and, hey, we're just going to drop back and keep it you know, simple in the pass game, you know, they, weren't, they weren't doing him any justice either. 
and really they're not doing themselves any justice because then there's no positive signs here. And then that's, uh, the fan base in Chicago, as you know, because I went in and did a few things in Chicago too, where they're going, wait, w- w- this looks horrible. What the hell's going on? You know, now now you, you build on something positive to where the team, the, the team, the fans can all look at it and go, look, like you said, look at what this guy can do with quarterback design runs. It gives him confidence. It gives the team confidence. It backs off the media and the fans, and it buys him more time, too, to go, hey, here's positives. Why we work on you know, polishing up the passing game and, and the things that we know he needs work on in that department. And that's where I think it's another like must here as we go forward. He just has to protect himself. He still takes too many hits, well, but damn, he's talented when he runs that ball. When you don't use a quarterback in a way that his skill set would suggest, especially a young quarterback when it's a new regime that didn't draft him, that's trying to separate from the mistakes of the old regime, people start to wonder, do they really want this guy? Are they just trying to set up an opportunity to move on from Justin Fields and get a guy that better fits what they want to do? And credit to Matt Eberflus and Luke Getze for saying, look, we got this – we got this – incredible lump of clay that we have to we're not molding it our way we have to change us not him yeah we have to do things that help us get more out of Justin Fields that's right that's good for Justin Fields you know this is the conversation that's been coming up more and more often recently trying to figure out what the hell happened to Geno Smith and why he's suddenly so great now when you are thrust into it as a starting quarterback at a young age if you don't get the right support, the right coaching, the right everything, and you wash out, it's not like somebody's going to be waiting to say, oh, we need, we, we need that guy who failed in the other place. You're done. You're done. you got to go the roundabout, circuitous journey to even get a chance again like Geno Smith did. Yeah. And, and so they're doing Justin Fields a great service. They, they made the investment in him, and now they have to recognize we have to use him in a way that is effective. And they are. And again, like you said, he's got to stay healthy. And hey, Chris, I'm not an advocate for throwing, roughing the passer flags willy-nilly. But there was one last night that just caused me to conclude, I don't know what the hell roughing the passer is, and I don't know what it isn't. Because he got Malachi crunched by a couple of guys. On the screen pass. And it sure as hell looked like it was roughing the passer. Well, I mean, it was definitely more aggressive. I don't know. When in doubt, whip it out. There was no whipping it out on that one when he got got hit harder than we've seen plenty of guys who drew roughing the passer fouls. Well, I I think you can classify that under, and and again, I know this doesn't always hold true. We see some of the studly quarterbacks get some bad calls on them too. But for the most part, I do think there's a difference in what we're talking about. You agree. I know this. I think Tony Dungy agrees because he. I hear, you know, the the studs, the real physical studs of the quarterback positions, just for some reason, it's like the refs go, well, he's built like a Greek god. He, he could take that hit. And then it's, you know, Matt Ryan or Tom Brady, and they go, well, he's a little old and frail, so I need to call it. And that that's their fault for being old and frail. That's not that That, that shouldn't determine it. So that's where I think you and I are talking about here. We've had too many plays over the years, whether it's Lamar Jackson, Cam Newton, Josh Allen, quarterbacks of that nature, where we go, wait, we saw 
10 penalties the day before with way less egregious hits. And here's this guy getting his head knocked out. And they're like, hey, just suck it up and get up, son. No problem. You'll be okay. And that's what's annoying. Yeah, it's the screen pass to Herbert, guys, if we have that play. The guy took what? I'm going to say two extra steps. That's the thing that I thought was, you know, it was was egregiously late, led with the crown of his helmet. I know. So that's where it is all over the place and frustrating to to what you're saying. And and I do think that, even though the league has tried its best to voice support of what the officials are doing, and specifically it's the referee, the guy with the white hat who's making those decisions, they're human. They're human, and they hear the criticism, and I'm sure they they have burner accounts where they check social media and see what's being said about them. They Google their names and see how they're being ripped here, there, and everywhere. You're going to be curious, what are people saying about me? And I think they may get a little... Gun shy. I hope so. About, I hope they about do. About using the yellow flag. I but, hope they do. But then you get situations where yeah, I know it looks it's pretty all clear over the that place. there was a foul. Not that it mattered. They scored the touchdown, right. but you know they should have been kicking off from the forty-five instead of the thirty. Yeah, yeah. And who knows what that does? But it's just it. The bottom line is it should be called when it happens. And and it it looked like it happened last night, and it wasn't called. And it just caused me to throw my hands in the air and say, I'm not even going to try to figure it out anymore. I just we'll just, just we'll just see if there's a flag on the ground. Yeah, right. if there's a flag on the ground, so be it. And if it looks like it's a bad call, we can huff and puff, but we ain't blowing anybody's house down. The Bears. Here's your play, though. There it is. Last night, though. Here it is. Yeah, I mean, he got he got it from both sides, and it just looked like, right? You know it when you see it. It looked like something that should have drawn a foul. The way he got hit by two guys simultaneously, it just it felt it was- like. It should have been based on the standard that we now have. Of course, the standard we now have is every hit on a quarterback's a foul because it feels like every hit on a quarterback is a foul. Yeah, it, well, it was it was a big time shot. I mean, it really was. He he took a tough one there, and, and you know, and again, as I'm watching it here in live, maybe maybe my take is wrong. I mean, it, it's not wrong in the fact where I go, yes, we've seen like way way less get called, uh, but. Maybe it wasn't as late as I thought, you know, watching in real time when they showed the replay of the hit. You know, I thought it was a clear two steps maybe after he threw the football. Uh, but it's probably really only one. I, as I more I look at it, I go, you know what, there's no problem with that. The problem, too, Mike, it's an all-out blitz. It's a screen pass, and they can't block everybody. And, and Dietrich Wise... Puts his hands up. helmet in the back. So the helmet I know, in the back. That's, that's a that brutal shot. That should have been a flag. Yeah. Helmet in the back. We've seen it before get called. You hit the quarterback with your helmet anywhere, you get a I guess that's flag. what could be called, right? Leading with the that's crown it, of the helmet. Right there. Yeah. Helmet yeah. in the back. Yeah. And then it shoves him right into the face of another guy. Yeah. So, uh, that was yeah. a big hit. But, yep. That's, 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 there's, that's, that's, that's a rough one. Honestly, I'm, again, I'm going to say, I hope they don't call those. I hope, but like you've said, and like we're talking about here, we've seen way less called than on that one. And uh, but that's not a when in doubt. There should have been no doubt on that one. There should have been no doubt. You see the helmet go into the guy's back. That's when the flag needs to come out. And, and I don't so, disagree. I don't disagree. I just think they're all discombobulated because they're getting yeah. criticized, and you know people can track them down. I don't know what kind of harassment they deal with. There's been stories in the past. I remember. Like somebody threw a brick through Pete Morelli's window after the playoff game between the Colts and the Steelers where Morelli overturned a call of an interception by Troy Polamalu. The Steelers still won the damn game, and he lives in California, and the Steelers ran out there like threw a brick through his window. You guys won the freaking game. What would you have done if you had lost? Burned his house down? So I, I think that there is a human element to it that 
that may be affecting what some of these officials are doing. Why wouldn't that human element kick in? They're human beings. Until they have robots officiating games, that's kind of what you're dealing with. And that may explain why the NFL trotted out Troy Vincent nine days ago onto the ESPN pregame show and has been saying we're not changing anything. Maybe they knew they had to say that to try to coax the officials to actually make the calls because they're sensitive to how much criticism there's been. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I mean, again, like you said, they're humans, and, and I wish they would dial it back a little bit. You know, other than the helmet, you know, leading with the head there, I, I'm okay with that. The more I watch it, you know, I get, I think I was a little misled by watching it. Yeah, so many other times than the thing, so other than the well, thing that violates the rules, it was a good play. Well, I, you know, again, I don't even think about that sometimes when the helmet doesn't hit the other guy in the head. I just go, okay, well, yeah, he he, you know, you're lowering yourself, you're coming in at full speed. I mean, sometimes shoulder, the, it, shoulder. It we see it all the time it. now. I got we you. See it all the time now in the open field. Guys have learned on the back end, they've adjusted when it's time to hit a defenseless receiver. You go shoulder. And also with that, it, sh- it should have been a foul for lowering the head and making forcible contact with an opponent. Even if it's not roughing the passer, they missed that. Aren't they supposed to be sensitive to that? We, yeah, we hear no, that all the are, time. Right, we're, trying to, we're trying to track what they're doing with their helmets and how they're using their helmets and the helmets are involved. and We've got to keep the helmets out. Helmet, helmet, helmet. It was a clear example. And, and that's another example of the benefit of having Sky Judge, Booth Umpire, whatever name they would want to use, because obviously they don't want to use a name somebody else came up with, because then it doesn't look like their idea. Make up whatever name you want for that guy who would be watching and saying, hey, he just hit him right in his back with the top of his helmet. We should probably throw a flag on yeah. this play. So yeah, I, uh, I just, they have to find a sweet spot where they're not calling it when it isn't a foul, but they are calling it when it is. Great Bears defense last night. Four turnovers forced. We'll talk about the sources of those turnovers, specifically the four, the two the quarterbacks, quarterbacks who played right. for the Patriots. Right. Yeah, but Roquan Smith, I hope he gets his contract some way, somehow. He's got this idea that he's made this bet on himself and he's going to waltz right into free agency. I mean, the Bears may tag him next year. I don't know. Plays like this, he will tag him. And even if it's tag and trade. I mean, the, the, the guy was great last night. He's been great all year. He had 12 tackles, tackle for loss, defended a pass, had a sack and an interception. That's how you get paid if you can get to the market, but I don't think the Bears are going to let him get to the free and open market. Well, no. I mean, they're crazy to let him go. He's, he's you know, as we said, Mike, and, and I, was, I was, you know, we were talking about this during the contract dispute during uh, training camp. He's made for this defense. He's made for it. I mean, it's it's he's the Shaquille Leonard of the defense, except I think he's more physically gifted than Shaquille Leonard. And he's a bigger, more explosive, stronger man. And so that's where, you know, for Chicago, I for their sake, because I, I find myself kind of rooting for Matt Eberflus and Getsy and how they're kind of coaching their team, they're they're easy to root for. You know, they're the kind of the underdog where you go, man, they're tough and hang in there every week and they they they're detailed and I respect that. And Roquan is is really a heat-seeking missile that's perfect for this this type of defense. So, yeah, I, I mean, I hope they can keep him. I'd be shocked if they let him go. They got some young talent, you know, along with them that you start to get excited about. Whether it's, you know, uh, Gordon who had the interception or Brisker who had the interception. You know, the kid Dominique Robinson, 91, he's a player. So there's a little nucleus of guys here to be excited about, let alone like you talked about, they're going to have money to play with next year.
That's what they did. They didn't. They they're paying a lot of players that are not on their team right now. So they're kind of taking one for the team right now, so they can build next year. But there's some things I think you know to your point that are, they're exciting, and Roquan is definitely one of the leaders in that category. And if he's franchise tagged, we'll have a lot more leverage than he did this year to stay away from off-season program, mandatory minicamp, training camp, et cetera. Won't be under contract until he accepts that franchise tender if they use it. But that's a topic to keep an eye on because he's playing so well. The Bears just can't say, hey, thanks for your five years. Go enjoy the free agency market. We'll take the compensatory pick in 2024. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. All right, Patriot time. We managed to avoid this for a while, but this part, you know, sometimes it's a little more fun to talk about what went wrong, especially when we're talking about a head coach who really doesn't have things go wrong all that often. And you made the comment earlier, how much did this quarterback game that he was playing, yeah. this uncertainty that was permeating the team, whatever it is, whatever kind of power play, I don't know if it's a Malcolm Butler type thing with Mac Jones. There's something there. It. There's something right? going on a little bit. But, yes. but if, if Bill Belichick is willing to put one of his best defensive backs on the sideline and force him to watch the action in a Super Bowl at the expense of winning another ring. This is a guy, and I got to respect, this is, this is some Italian stubbornness, <laughs> cutting off the nose to spite the face, to spite the Super Bowl ring. If he's going to do it then, he'll do it now. And there's something up with him and Mac Jones. I'm there sorry, is. people. There's something weird going on there. There is. And Mac Jones starts... And then he gets yanked. And then Belichick tells Lisa Salters at halftime that was the plan all along and Mac's going to play in the second half and he doesn't. Now after the game, Belichick said that the game got out of hand, but they had opportunities to put him in before the game got out of hand. Yeah. I kept waiting every drive. Where's Mac? Where's Mac? Where's right. Mac? Right. Never saw him warming up. He never, got the, he never got to go, hey, get yourself ready in case we put you in. They don't know what's going to happen in the current drive by the Bears. Got to get the guy ready. He was, he was on – I never saw – I saw shots of Bailey Zappi warming up. I never saw shots of no. Mac Jones warming up. So no. That, weird that, situation. That weird. Chris is weird. And it is. It's the most important position on the field. It's one thing to screw around with Malcolm Butler. It's another thing to screw around with your quarterback position because it does. And, and I was watching the press conference last night. I don't care who it was, Devin McCourty, Matthew Judon. They all, they all are reading off of the same sheet. We're, we're the defense. We're worried about defense. We're not worried about the quarterback position. I'm sure that's what Belichick says in every meeting. It's not your job. Do your job. It's not your job to worry about who the quarterback is. Defense is the same regardless of who the quarterback is. Doesn't affect us. Well, yeah, it does because the quarterback's no good. It puts you in a tougher spot. But it's part, of the, it's part of this broader game that Belichick has to play to try to hold it together. And I just wonder whether he was able to hold it together last night. Yeah, well, it was odd. I mean, it was odd and, and to even think, like, oh, both guys are going to play and all that. I mean, when you hear that, I was just like, what? Is this the New England Patriots? What? Both guys are going to play. They're the kind of place where if you can't play totally 100% to your highest level, then you don't play. And we play the guy that's kind of been rolling and playing well. And we'll see you next week when you have a full week to really practice and, and get ready to go. There is something there. Again, there's too many people. I know you have been saying this, 
And I know, too, that there is some friction rooted in the departure of Josh McDaniels, the offensive coordinator, you know, in that conversation with Patricia and Joe Judge, and something there with Belichick. There's too many people in football that, that tell me. I just don't know the exact details of why of what's going on. And I'm guessing that you're kind of hearing the same thing or have been hearing the same thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. So there's, 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 there's something to that. And then I guess just, you know, you look at the overall pressure of the situation too where, hey, Mac Jones is supposed to be the Brady replacement. Hey, this is a guy we picked. You know, it's not like, oh, we're a free agency and we got to figure out a Cam Newton thing. We wanted this guy and he fell to us and played really good as a rookie and took us to the playoffs. And, and, and then struggled this early in the year to where you might have cost them football games. And then to throw him out there, start in the game where he didn't have a full week of practice and the way you've been playing with Bailey Zappi and the energy are all good. I mean, to me, it was all a little weird last night. I was surprised to hear during the day yesterday that Mac Jones was going to start or going to play or, you know, you heard all these different reports out there. So, uh, and, and I can't help but to think if that didn't mess with the mojo of who they are a little bit. Not to say Zappi's better or anything like that, but momentum is a real thing in football. And when you kind of got a good thing going and a, a way you're playing with one guy, you know, sometimes you ride that wave. And, and you certainly don't just do it to go, hey, let's throw our less than 100% quarterback out there and see what he's got. And it was classic Belichick gamesmanship leading up to the game. Limited in practice was Mac Jones Thursday, Friday, Saturday, officially listed as questionable. I was told yesterday afternoon that Jones took like 90, 95% of the first string reps on Saturday, but just few enough that they could with a straight face say he was limited and call him questionable. The idea was he was going to start. He was pushing to start. It's been part of this back and forth, this push and pull. Mac wants to play. Mac thinks he's ready, so he lets him play, and then the moment he screws up, he pulls him out. He puts in Bailey Zappi. Zappi starts screwing up. They don't put Mac Jones back in. And, you know, there's different conspiracy theories out there. He wants to rub Mac Jones' face in it, put Mac Jones out there where they're hearing the chance for Bailey Zappi. And then they put Zappi in and they leave him in. The other side of the conspiracy theory is it's a middle finger to the fans who are trying to tell Bill Belichick what to do. <laughs> Here's your hero, Bailey Zappi, flopping around like a fish in a boat. He doesn't know what to do in the second half. The whole thing is just weird. We're not used to seeing it from any team. This is some Steve Spurrier crap where you think you're going to use two quarterbacks. This isn't Bill Belichick. I, I, I'm with you there. That's where I'm surprised. This is a team, yeah, I mean, Belichick and... You know, hey, Bill Parcells, whatever. There, it's it's when I played for Josh McDaniels. It's it's very real, tangible thing is to build the team around the quarterback. Just have a general. Not that he has to be a superstar, but there's one clear voice and leader on that side of the ball. They're they're believers in that. And again, I, I I do think they want Mac Jones to be that guy. But I think because Mac was clamoring to get out there and the way they were playing. And again, that the fact that he did lead them to the playoffs and was a first-round pick, I think that led uh, Belichick to maybe you know get outside his own comfort zone as far as how he usually deals with these type of situations. And yeah, I'm with you. You know, the one the one thing I want to see Mike too is yeah, he throws the interception. We know that's bad. And see you, you're out of here. Those first two drives as well. You know, Troy Aikman alluded to it, and I wish he would have shown some replays where. 
you know, he, he could have said, hey, it doesn't look like he's in the flow of the game, and, you know, hey, the pocket and all those things. Like, I do wonder, was there some people open in those first two series where, you know, he just couldn't pull the trigger, wasn't feeling comfortable, was kind of feeling the pass rush still and all of that. Uh, I, I felt like Troy was hinting at that. But then Zappy comes in and you go, wow, whoa, here we go. And and you're right. And then we never see Mac Jones. And that's, I, I, I guess, weird, Mike. But at the same time, he's got a bad ankle. Maybe they just thought, hey, let's not throw him back out there now in this situation when we're down and it's cold and not warmed up. So maybe there's a few things that play into that. Belichick did say as he grunted his way through five or six questions at one point that health was an issue. Let's let's have a little listen to what Bill Belichick had to say when he made his way to the podium after last night's 33-14 to 14 loss. Who is the starting quarterback? Yeah, we just finished the game. So when Mac came out of the game, Bill, was that a medical decision, the timing of the no. pulling him? So was that related to the, the interception that was his no. last play tonight? No, we we have planned to play. Uh, I told the quarterbacks that we were gonna we were gonna play both of them. So we did. And so was the plan for three series. It just seems when his last plays an interception, it looks like a, a benching for performance. That's not what it was, but you, you know, you can write whatever you want to write. That's not what it was. Do you see a situation where you might go one quarterback one week and one the next and have kind of a platoon situation or? Are you going to start one quarterback each week? Yeah. No, I don't see that. Bill, what was a, a benefit of the pre-planned rotation at quarterback? Uh, I think it was the best thing to do based on the situation. What was the situation? <laughs> the whole situation. He's a master. You know, I, I didn't notice it last night, but when he was asked, are you going to platoon them or just have one starting quarterback, he says, no, I don't think that'll happen. It's, it's an either-or question. Right. It's, it's not like, yes or no. Right. I don't know what he's saying no to. He's a genius. An evil super genius is Bill Belichick, although the plan currently isn't working. And I mentioned Steve Spurrier earlier. No, no offense to Steve Spurrier, but I remember there was a time when he was the Washington head coach where I felt like he was trying to bring that college – quarterback mindset to the NFL you know in the NFL the quarterback is the unquestioned leader of the offense and the unquestioned leader of the team we'll see college teams do the revolving door stuff is it this guy is it this guy sometimes it's this guy sometimes it's that guy I don't know you may have some experience with that firsthand yeah that doesn't cut it in the NFL no it doesn't cut that, it that's not the way we do it in the NFL we see college teams do it maybe it's because there's so many of them statistically there's going to be some where the head coach doesn't know what the hell he's doing so he's going to screw up the whole team by trying to trying to become and I think what happens is you know the college coach who's the emperor of the town where the team is right if you have that clear cut starting quarterback it threatens the college coach's status as the guy if you have a quarterback who's the guy so I'm so powerful I can screw around with who the starting quarterback is I mean that's that's the vibe this has it doesn't work in the NFL no it, it doesn't and, and you're right it doesn't work at college it, level either but they still work. do it yeah it, it doesn't work anywhere it doesn't and and, and you're right I mean it, it, to me it's like when we start to like blame the issues of the team on the quarterback that's usually when it happens in the college like well, there's issues everywhere I mean, Steve Spurrier got away with it. It wasn't good for Florida back in the day when they were doing that. You know, you got to remember, too, they had an NFL team playing against a bunch of college kids. They were awesome. So they could still win games, and but it wasn't helping either quarterback out or the team. You know, but, but, yeah, this is – it just doesn't seem within the DNA 
of Bill Belichick. That whole answer doesn't. And and I'm just shocked in a place where, you know, again, where if you can't practice all week and totally be 100%, they usually don't play you. Because one, they don't feel like you're going to be hitting on all cylinders. And two, they usually do it to protect the player too. Like he's he's not going to be himself. He's not going to be able to protect himself the right way. That's where I was surprised by all of it. Uh, and and I, it, it, I, I have a hard time thinking he had a normal week of practice last week. I mean, we know he didn't. It wasn't like he was full go all the time. So it's, but, but yet he's feeling the pressure too. Max going, wait, the, the offense is playing good now. We're running the ball. I want to be a part of this. I mean, playing quarterback right now is easy. And then they ran into a buzzsaw because he was a little out of sorts, certainly. The Bears were all over. Really, it seemed like just about everything the Patriots wanted to do. They couldn't get the run game going. And other than, you know, three, like, special plays that just fell exactly right for Bailey Zappi, where the whole world wanted to go, oh, my gosh, look at Bailey Zappi. Whoa, he threw to the running back uncovered coming out of the backfield. Who could do that? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. He threw to a wide. I mean, this play. Hey, it's a great game plan play. He got fortunate that he was in that quarterback right there with the Bears call that. I don't think Mac misses that. This play right here, there's another game plan play. This is the guy you throw to on this play, period. That's a crappy throw. He's wide open. You know? So, and then you have, oh, a fumbled snap or a fumbled handoff. And, of course, some bad interceptions to go along with it, too. So I don't sit here too after the last night and go, oh well, Bailey Zappi's definitely the answer. There's there's positive things about Bailey Zappi's game. One thing is he's small, and we can see he has a getting the ball batted down problem, and he doesn't have a great arm. He's got good feel. There's no doubt, but I don't think he's in his best better than Mac Jones. That's what I guess I'm trying to say. You know, he was the benefactor of the team playing some teams that matched up. Their offense got going, and ultimately. A, I still think they're going to be much better with Mac Jones, but Mac's not totally himself right now. And it's different to play quarterback when your team is winning. Yeah. And the defense is suffocating. Right. The Lions or the Browns. Right. It's very different when you're down and you've got to leave the charge and your offense isn't built to do it. And it was so weird when when they're down 19 with 10, 11 minutes left uh, and – you know, we see this all the time, and it drives me crazy. Like, where's the urgency? Are, are you just giving up? Why are you huddling? Why are you running the ball between the tackles? Why are you not rushing to the ball and going into a two-minute drill here? You've got to score three times. It, 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 it astounds me when we see that, and maybe that's the disconnect between watching a game on TV, being in the stands, and being in the middle of it because you're still humans and you're tired and there's only so much you can do as you try to rush play by play by play by play to get the ball down to the end zone. And the harder you press, the more you, you set up the possibility of a turnover. Like that, that's what I think it is, Mike, to night. your point and why you asked that. I think a lot of teams go, wait, let's just make sure we get the one score first. Let's make it a two-score game, and then we'll start to go from there instead of, like you said, hectic, crazy, and, hey, no huddle, it's rookie quarterback, and, oh, man, now we're totally out of it. I, I, think, I think that's the reasoning why teams do that. I mean, let's get that first one, and then we'll start to manage from there. Uh, but, yes, it has a bad look on it when nothing happens because you go, wait, well, are they trying to score here? What the hell? Are they trying to win the game? And uh, it just was an unpatriot-like night. For them to get physically whooped, schematically whooped, 
And then for them to be the team that made all the dumb brain fart type mistakes throughout the night, uh, uh, you know, Justin Fields getting out of the pocket when they look like they got him in there. There was just so many unpatriot-like things throughout the night that you just, yeah, they did not deserve to win that game. They were totally outclassed last night. And I also think there's a mentality that kicks in. It goes to 33-14 to 14 with 12 minutes left. And you yeah. don't want it to get worse than that. The, It'll look uh, worse than that. Agreed. You don't want 46-10 They again, protect like against the blowout. 20. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I agree with that, it too. It was still a blowout. Yeah. But, hey, if that, that guy runs that, t- I think a 39-14, 42-14. Yeah, 47-14. Everybody's going, oh, my gosh, what is wrong with the Patriots today? What a disaster. You're right. And I, I do think that's you know part of the overall managing of the perception of your football team that goes on. Before we take a break, yeah, Mac Jones has a long way to go to be Tom Brady. Right. We understand that. And, and Brady never had to deal with this kind of weirdness earlier at any point in his career in New England. However, they do have one thing in common, as we saw last night. They, I, I don't know if – I'm starting to wonder whether or not the Patriots coach this when you slide. Hey, if there happens to be a guy <laughs> right in front of you, just put your foot up and give him a little – Give him a little love tap, right? I mean, what is that? And uh, Brady did the same thing to Ed Reed, got fined $10,000 for it. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, Brisker, he, he, he got it. He got him. It doesn't take much, as Eddie Murphy once said. You don't have to hit him. You just have to graze him. But uh, that's the Tom Brady move. It, it is. It, it's it's odd, you know. And I, I don't know if he just loses control of his leg and it, like, kind of hits the ground there and then kicks back up or – if he's trying to protect himself, I don't know. Hey, when that foot flattens out, that's a human being controlling his foot. When it flattens like that, you're you're pulling your toes up. You I, don't I have would to think about that. I would guess yeah, that's so. Not, yeah. That's not a natural reflex. That you know, oh my foot's going crazy here, and you pull your toe up. You're you're in control of your foot when you pull your toe up. He knew damn well what he was doing. And it'll be interesting to see if he gets a letter this week from the league office. He should. He should. Brady got fined $10,000 for doing it to Ed Reed nine, ten years ago. He should get fined for this. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be shocked to see it happen. It, it does look a little unnatural. I mean, the more you watch it, the more it does look like that, yeah, I don't. he's protecting himself. And I know. didn't know that Brisker, Brisker grabbed the... <laughs> grab um, the sensitive region in midair. In midair, he was like, "Oh my kahunos are hurt! Holy cow! <laughs> it, it is instantaneous, <laughs> and those are cleats <laughs> on there that are hitting me. Uh, yeah, that's that's dangerous. And and again, as most people don't, I don't think realize sometimes. NFL football players do not wear cups. They, nope. There is no, no protection there. Right. Point of pride. That's from Tim Green's Dark Side of the Game. You don't wear a cup. It slows you down. It slows you down. It's it uncomfortable. Beca- and, yeah. Uh, and it's the great cheeseburger Eddie once said, you got to protect the McNuggets, uh, but you don't, you don't protect them with a cup. So, uh, let's go ahead and take a break. When we return, Matt Ryan will not have to worry about getting kicked or doing any kicking in that area for the rest of the year. He is headed to the bench and he's not going to be back on the field again this year for the Colts. No matter what we'll tell you what's going on in Indianapolis and why it's happening when PFT live presented by Google pixel continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. 
Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 